Hello and welcome to Two Peds in a Pod, the medical education podcast from the Children's Emergency Department in Derby. I'm your host as always, Ian Lewins. Um, and this is a bit of a different podcast this week, um, something that uh, I've been asked a few times to do, which is a podcast on how to make a podcast. So if you're tuning in for sort of medical advice and, and medical updates, then this is not one for you. Um, so here we go. So People have approached me and sort of said, well, how do I go about creating a podcast? And I think the first thing I would say to people is, when you're thinking about it, think, why are you creating the podcast? What is it that yours is going to do that doesn't exist already? There are literally thousands and thousands of podcasts out there. So what is different about yours? What makes yours unique? Is there an unmet need out there that this podcast will fulfil? Um, in the case of Two Peds, when we first looked at it, we, we realised actually from a UK perspective, there weren't that many pure paediatric podcasts out there. So it, it seemed to meet an unmet need. There was a bit of a niche there. And I think it's really important that when you're considering doing a podcast to think about that and also think about the sustainability of your podcast because actually, I think one of the things that I found most difficult is making sure that this keeps going week after week after fortnight after fortnight after month after month. Um, and when you look at a lot of podcasts, that, that there are a lot of sort of for the first few months or so, there are several episodes and it drops off quite dramatically. So think about sustainability of your podcast right at the outset. How are you going to keep this going? I think it's also really important to then think about a catchy name for your podcast. We were very lucky that somebody came up with a two peds in a pod name. Um, and that's given us sort of particular brand recognition, I think. A lot of people have heard of the name. And when people uh, listen to the podcast, one of the first things that they comment on is, we really like the name. So trying to think of something catchy that, that sells your brand is really important. So once you've decided you want to do a podcast and you've got your name, you need to think about kit. Um, what are you going to buy? How are you going to do it? Disclaimer right from the start that the, the the advice that I'm going to give you that I am not paid for. There is no financial sort of incentive for me to tell you the things that I've bought. Um, and I am by no means an expert. This is just what I found and, and my advice. So in terms of kit, I'm going to presume that you've got a computer, a Mac or a PC or something like that, because a lot of the editing that you're going to need to do is, is going to need some sort of computer. So let's think about kit. And the most fundamental and basic bit of kit that you're going to need is a microphone. And if you're going to spend any money, make sure you buy a decent mic. You cannot realistically uh, record on your PC or computer. The, the inbuilt microphones on there are just not good enough. So you're going to need a decent mic. And essentially, there are two sorts of, of mic that many people use. The first one, that the one that I started out with and that I'm recording this on, is um, a USB mic. So this is a mic that has a USB cable that you simply plug into your computer and record from there. And the particular one that I used um, is a Blue Yeti microphone, because it seemed to get sort of good reviews on, on Amazon, etc. Uh, and actually, it's done me fairly well. Um, the other sort of microphone is a portable one. Um, and I'll just explain the differences. With the USB mic, the Yeti mic that I'm using, you have to take your computer with you. 
And that's fine if you've got sort of a, a, a laptop or a, a portable PC, something like that. But it can be a bit of a cumbersome thing if you're having to drag your computer along with you. So the other option is, uh, say, a portable handheld microphone, um, which is something that I bought later on. Uh, and I use something called a Tascam portable uh, recorder. Now, the, the Yeti mics sell for about 100 to £160, and the Tascam portable one that I've got varies on, on how much you want to spend, but starting about £80, going up to sort of a couple of hundred pounds. The difference with the portable one is... As it says, you simply can use that, um, and it's got an inbuilt uh, microphones that you can use, and you can just plop on the desk and record the conversation that you're having. My personal preference for that is to actually have some handheld microphones, so the sort of microphones that you'll see uh, people speaking from uh, with a cable that plugs into the, the portable recorder, um, and, and that just allows you greater portability uh, if you're sort of having to take your recording equipment with you without the need for a computer. So what the portable uh, recorder does is it will then record your recordings onto something like a, an SD card. And you can then take the SD card out and plug it into your computer when you've got home. So there's no need to come around with your computer. Um, other things that it's worth investing in are uh, a microphone shield. So I'm using a microphone shield at the moment, and it just stops uh, some of the extra noises, the p that you might get. So I'll move the mic shield there and you can hear the noise. So having a mic shield is worth it. Um, and they're about £10. They're not expensive. So if you've got your USB, you just need your cable and a mic shield and your computer. With the portable microphones, it's worth getting uh, decent cables, decent mics, mic covers, and you'll need an SD card. So there's a, there is a bit of an upfront cost to, to all this. Um, which you're probably looking at a couple of hundred pounds. And from a medical education perspective, it's, it's certainly worth thinking about, are there any sources of funding that I can get that will help me pay for this? Um, so things like library funds, things like education funds within the trust, because particularly when it comes to the end of the tax year, there's always funds around if you sort of know where to look. So that's your initial kit. The next thing you need to think about are guests um, and who are you going to get on, how are you going to get them on. So when we started out, obviously the, the first thing that we did was simply approach uh, people within the department to sort of say, look, this is your particular field of expertise. Do you want to come on the, the, the podcast? And they all said yes, and we sat down and we recorded. But of course, after a while, you, you'll fairly quickly exhaust those people uh, and need other people. Uh, and so I've simply used things like Twitter um, and looked through journals and approached article authors that that's something that seems interesting. So it, for, for me in the UK, it tends to be archives of disease in childhood and particularly the education and practice uh, edition of it, um, because there are often people very enthusiastic about teaching and learning and very keen to come on podcasts. So approach these people via Twitter, via email, uh, and I have to say, of all the people I've approached, nobody has ever actually said no to me. The great difficulty is trying to match up time for people to meet. So how are you going to do this recording, whether it's on your portable or your USB? Well, face-to-face -face is, is easy. 
But how about when that person works somewhere else that you can't get to or works in a different country? So you can do face-to-face or you can do remote recording. And we'll talk a bit about that. When I started doing remote recording, I tried to think of how am I going to get around this? How am I going to record this conversation? Um, And initially I used things like uh, doing a Skype call or a FaceTime audio call. And that worked reasonably well. So I would ring the guest on FaceTime audio or Skype and then position the microphone halfway between myself and the computer. Um, And the mics have got different settings depending on how you're recording. So I'd set it to um, record the, the, the sound both from me in one direction and coming from my guest on the phone call in the other direction. And that's fine. And then recording it on something like GarageBand. The problem with that is that it records it all as one track, which makes it harder to edit. So, for example, if my guest's talking and I suddenly cough or sneeze or the phone rings, I can't easily edit my part of that out without having to edit the guest out as well. So what I moved on to later was using something called Zencaster. And Zencaster is a free website um, that allows you to record... Uh, for free conversations between two people and and it does it very much like you would do a a Skype call that sort of thing but the advantage of using Zencaster is it records the tracks separately so it'll record my part and it records the other person's uh, conversation separately as a different track so what I can then do is take those tracks individually put them onto uh, an editing piece of software, and the bit that I tend to use is GarageBand, and it allows me to edit those tracks individually. So if I do cough or sneeze whilst my guest's talking, I can simply edit my bit out whilst I keep their bit in. So that's a bit about recording. And I say the thing that I use uh, is GarageBand because I I use Mac, Um, but there are lots of other... Uh, pieces of software that you can use to sort of record it on so finding the one that's useful for you and importantly I, I would suggest that when you're recording try and turn things off around you so take off um, watches try and avoid your guest banging on tables and that's something that we found a lot that, that people get very enthusiastic and wave their arms around and they often bang tables so try and turn that off turn off any notifications on your computer or phone because they often bing in the background um, and you you'll get a lot of background noise and i know colleagues have had issues with um, fans on computers so the, the computer gets hot the fan on the computer turns itself on and you suddenly find yourself with a really horrible background noise. So try to do all those things and set all those things up in the first place before you start recording. So once you've recorded your tracks, it's time to edit it. Um, and I say there are lots of pieces of, of audio editing software. And the, the one that I use is one that I'm very familiar with, which is GarageBand, which is uh, free um, with, with most Macs and just allows you to to change volumes and change tones and ambience and reverb and those sorts of things on your tracks so that if you've got a bit of a difference between what you're recording and what your guest is saying, you can try and level those up. And and in particular, um, if you've got volume differences as well, it will allow you to do that.
So you've recorded your track, you've edited your track, it's now time to save your track. If you save on GarageBand, it will save it as a GarageBand file. And it took me a little while to work out how do I get this into a format that's publishable. Um, and that's when you click on Share and Export to Disk. And what GarageBand will then do is save your track as an MP3 or MP4 file, which is the sort of file that, that can then be used and, and shared on podcasts. So you've edited your track, it's ready to go, and now it's time to publish it. And you want to put this on a host site. And again, there are literally thousands to choose from. I use uh, SoundCloud simply because it seemed to be uh, the most easy to access and user-friendly. I know that some people don't rate SoundCloud at all, and, and there are thousands and thousands of others like Podbean, for example, um, that, that will all do pretty much the same thing. And the vast majority have a free option to start with. So SoundCloud will let you record so many hours and publish so many hours of, of, of tracks before it starts to charge you. So I did that. I found it fairly easy to use. And then once I reached my sort of maximum limit for, for free stuff, I started to pay for it. So I now pay approximately £10 a month so that all my tracks are there, all my tracks are searchable. Um, so you simply take your MP3 or MP4 file that you've got, click on Upload. It will upload it to SoundCloud, to your account on there with a bit of a description about the, the track, so the name of the track, what's involved in the track, and you can tag it so that it's searchable. So I tend to put education, medical, paediatric. So anybody coming onto SoundCloud can, uh, if they're searching through paediatric and medical education, will, will find this podcast. Once you've got your, your host set up, it then creates... Um, you, you, you want to send this to other places. So if you just want people to just uh, access SoundCloud, that's fine, and they can go on the website or they can go on the SoundCloud app. But actually most people will access their podcasts from things like uh, Google Podcasts or Amazon Music or more, more commonly iTunes, which is the, the native Apple format. So what you need to do is create uh, what's called an RSS feed. Um, and this is basically a, a description, a piece of, uh, it's like a website address for your podcast. So RSS stands for really simple syndication, if you're interested in that. Um, so once you've got your RSS and SoundCloud will automatically generate this for you, you can then send that RSS to the various sites. So iTunes, uh, Google Play. Um, Spotify, those sorts of things. So you need to apply to have your podcast uh, published on iTunes and Spotify, etc. Um, and most of them have fairly straightforward processes whereby you, you simply send the information about your podcast, the RSS, which I say is a bit like your unique website address, um, and uh, normally a picture that you use and we've got the two p's in the pod picture so the picture with the name on and the two p's in the pod um the only people that are a bit funny about it are itunes um being apple it, it wants the picture as a very specific dimensions so it can take a bit of editing 
and it often then goes off for them to look at your podcast to look at the picture to look at the description before they approve you and that can sometimes take a good couple of weeks so we found with iTunes I think it took about 10 days for us to be to send it off to be accepted whereas things like Spotify and Google podcasts came back a lot quicker and I think it's important that you kind of send these to as many places as you can because there's different places that will access uh, your podcasts and different people access them differently so not everybody has iTunes because not everybody uses an Apple product so getting them on as many platforms as you can I think is really important and as I say we use as well as SoundCloud we use iTunes uh, we've submitted to Amazon Music uh, Google Podcasts TuneIn Radio um, and Spotify as well so that just means that you've got your recording You've got your host, which is SoundCloud, and you've got your publishing platforms, which are the iTunes and Spotify, etc. And once your podcast is now on these platforms, what the RSS does is every time that I upload my track to my host, which is SoundCloud, SoundCloud uses that RSS to push it to all um, the platforms that I use, so Spotify, etc., and it will then update it. So I don't need to send it to Spotify and iTunes every single time. SoundCloud does that for me using this RSS, um, and that means that, that the entire library is searchable and the entire library is updated however people access their podcasts. Once you've done that, it's then time to promote it. Um, and we've done this through largely social media, so using Twitter and using word of mouth and uh, getting people from organisations such as the RCPCH uh, to, to sort of get on board and retweet. Um, and the more people you reach, the more people hopefully will retweet. Um, and I think the reason we have been successful, and I think we can say we've been successful, we're now sort of approaching 90,000 listens to our, to our podcasts, is that we, we've met an unmet need, I think, um, and we've had a really wide range of, of guests that have come on with a really interesting range of topics to be discussed that, that's trying to be a, a broad approach to paediatrics. So... We've not gone for very high-end, um, cutting-edge research every single week. We've tried to keep some basics in there as well. Um, things like an approach to diagnosing asthma, an approach to uh, what asthma medications you might use. And one of the things that's been really interesting to me, as well as sort of uh, people fairly new to paediatrics, um, we've had lots of people such as ACPs and particularly paramedics who've approached me and sort of said, we actually get very little formal training in paediatrics and actually the podcast is a really great way of learning, which is why we've tried to sort of get paramedics involved to get their input and sort of say, you know, what sort of things do you want to hear? And as we're trying to expand the number of people that are involved in two peds in a pod, we've brought in paramedics and nurses and ACPs and both junior and very senior doctors to try and give us a, as rounded a group of people involved uh, as possible. Once you've recorded and distributed your podcasts, 
what your host will then allow you to do is to look at the statistics, the insights of uh, of your podcast. So how many people are listening to it? Where are they listening to it? Which countries, which cities? And how much of your podcast do they listen to? Which is is an interesting insight. And it allows you to kind of pick out which are the interesting topics. Because what you might think is really interesting, actually very few people listen to or only listen to part of. Whereas something you might think, well, I'm not sure how interesting this is. People will uh, listen to it far more than you thought. So our most popular podcast so far is one on bronchiolitis. And, and from my perspective, although we had a fantastic guest in Ian Wacone on, um, I thought, wow, everybody's heard of bronchiolitis. We've done this to death. But actually, the fact that it is the most popular podcast shows that there still is a need. People still want to be taught and learn about it. Um, and it just allows you also the insights to determine what's the optimum length for your podcasts. Um, if people are only listening to 50% of your hour-long podcast, maybe your podcast's too long. And, and in my view, the ideal length of time to keep people's interest runs about 20 to 25 minutes. Um, so I try and keep my podcasts t- to that length, and that goes very quickly. That is a very short period of time. So that would be my probable one top tip is keep your podcast short, edit brutally, to keep them interesting, to keep people going. And I think my final top tip for, for podcasts is make sure you enjoy it. Because if you don't enjoy it, if it becomes a chore, then it's not sustainable. It's not something you'll do. You need to enjoy doing these and get some, something out of it because you are doing it for free. And in fact, it's almost certainly going to cost you money to do this unless you are sponsored or have advertising, which is something I've always shied away from. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time. So make sure it is sustainable and make sure it is something that you want to do. So I hope there's a few tips in there for for people starting out on podcasts. Pick a great name, uh, have some sustainability to it, Choose your equipment carefully, and if you're going to spend money, spend the money on a decent microphone. Choose your editing carefully, so I use GarageBand. Choose your host, and then where you're going to send it to. And I wish you the very best of luck, and if there's any questions or comments that you had, I'd be very happy to answer them, probably on Twitter, and I'm at Ian Lewins. And thank you for listening.